Good morning again. Our second lesson is from the Gospel of Luke. It is one of those passages that Caleb uh, referred to uh, when he was sharing those uh, really wonderful uh, remarks around Advent hope during communion. He said, you know, Advent, the first Sunday of Advent, you have these prophetic words that can sound so foreboding, and they are foreboding, but they're foreboding because the world is often foreboding, and it is into the midst of those circumstances that comes the unfailing, tireless love of God. So here are these words, not as words meant to scare you, as we'll talk about in a few moments, not words meant to scare you or frighten you, Words to get your attention and make you alert to the love of Christ. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And on the earth, distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree. And all the trees, as soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. That day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, God, open our ears that we would hear your word as the gospel. We would hear hope is embedded in this passage. Hope that we have already participated in. Sacrament of communion joined. Christ's future to ours. Help us to hear that hope here in this passage, pointing towards that future. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher in Christ's name. Amen. Signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, distress among nations. Son of man coming in a cloud with great glory. These words of Jesus to his disciples are in the genre of apocalyptic language. That language is highly symbolic, and it's meant to startle us. It's not meant to scare us, as I've already mentioned, as it's sometimes preached, but it is here to startle us. It's here to wake us up, to wake us up 
To what exactly? Well, to wake us up to the fact that no matter how bad things get for us, no matter how bad things get for our world, Jesus is near. Jesus is victorious over the forces of evil, over the forces in our world that are the enemies of human flourishing. These words are meant to jolt us into a posture where we can see Jesus and recognize him present in history, recognize the meaning of his life, death, resurrection, and recognize the meaning of his future as good news for this world. Now, there's always been some debate about what future Jesus is referring to specifically in this passage. He's looking ahead to these events, right? Is Jesus talking about what's often referred to as his second coming? The second great advent where he comes in glory to unite this world to the world to come at the end of history? Or is this language meant to talk about, quite literally, the events that will happen before that generation, as the text says, before that generation of people hearing them die? New Testament scholars point out that in each version of this sermon of Jesus, the one that's in Luke in front of us this morning, the one that's in Matthew and Mark, that each of them has Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple in the overall context of his remarks. The destruction of the temple that will come when Rome routs Jerusalem in the year 70 AD. A time frame that fits with this generation will not pass away. So that event indeed must be the first and most immediate, so to speak, Fulfillment of Jesus' words. But the phrase Son of Man, riding on the clouds, so to speak, I think that phrase there offers us a clue that these words about Jesus' future, they're also words that are meant for every generation that suffers the pains and groanings of a fallen world that is so desperately in need of the redemption that only God can provide when God works in our midst. The phrase, Son of Man coming on a cloud, is a reference to the prophetic image of God's great deliverer, the Messiah in the book of Daniel. Quick historical context. Daniel was a prophet who employed similar apocalyptic language to what Jesus is using here to remind God's people that even though the forces of the world were arrayed against them at a time when Israel was suffering greatly under exile, in spite of the terrible power of Babylon and all it stood for, in spite of all that, that God would not abandon them. And to to make that point with a powerful visual image, Daniel evokes an image that was common in the ancient Near East, where warrior gods were pictured as riding on the clouds victoriously in their chariots. 
He co-opts that imagery and applies it to the deliverance that Yahweh promises his people. And then Jesus grabs that image here in our text in front of it and applies it to himself. The message is clear. No matter how bad things get, no matter how hopeless we may feel, God has not abandoned us but is always working in the world through the presence of the risen Jesus to bring hope to what appears to be hopeless situations. When I think of an image like this, my my heart and my imagination turns indeed in the direction that Caleb's turned to. Uh, We did not collaborate on this, but the theme is so complementary to what I was hoping to talk about this morning because when I think about this, my experience with, with being in touch deeply with, with the hope that we talk about at Advent, the hope that is not, a, as Caleb put it, the hope that is not a prisoner of circumstances, my experience where that's in technicolor is certainly not when I'm watching a football game, you know, thinking about how life is you know, pretty good. <laughs> no, it's when I'm maybe on the west side of Chicago at Breakthrough Urban Ministries, driving there through relative bleakness due to multi-generational poverty. And then all of a sudden you see rising out of all that this wonderful multi-purpose building medical clinic, um, a food pantry, uh, uh, men's homeless shelter, women's homeless shelter, uh, youth programs touching the lives of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids in that neighborhood. Bleakness, and then hope. You can see it. Or any other number of neighborhoods where Uh, There are wonderful organizations at work to bring the light of God's hope that is never the prisoner of circumstances to bear. It's amazing when you can see it. It's like, here's a bleak landscape. Wait a minute, what accounts for that $2 million building? (laughs) What accounts for all the services that come from that? Well, it's God's hope breaking in. Miroslav Volf points out uh, in an Advent letter that he wrote once that, uh, and just to put a different slant on what's already been said um, about hope not being the prisoner of circumstances, is there's a, a world of difference between optimism and hope. Optimism is based on extrapolative thinking. Uh, these circumstances here wow, I think I can be optimistic because of these circumstances here. Uh, but that's, that's just optimism. And it's never a sure bet. Optimism is earthbound. Bound on extrapolative thinking from what you see in front of you. Advent hope comes from outside of this world. Advent hope is the son of man riding on the cloud, bringing the victory of God to what would otherwise be hopeless 
would be a hopeless situation. You know, just like we can, we can talk about seeing uh, the hope of God rising up in East Garfield Park or Uganda or Haiti or wherever you can fill in the blank of your own experiences. That is true for each of us personally too. For whenever we catch a glimpse of some pattern of thinking or acting, deep inside of us, some pattern of thinking or acting that diminishes us and often even those around us. I'm talking about patterns that become so much a part of us that they feel ingrained and we feel hopeless about their presence in us. That that moment does not call for optimistic thinking. That moment calls for the Son of Man riding on the cloud. And if you want an image for that, I do think images are helpful. Starry night, the new image for the Advent season, reminding us of we're waiting, waiting expectantly, restlessly for the light of God to come upon us. Um, Buildings are a great image. Uh, The work that Caleb referred to in Uganda is a great image. When you're thinking about those patterns of thinking that, and patterns of being and acting in your life that you just, you feel hopeless for them to go away. Here's the image for you. It's the table, communion. The Son of Man riding on a cloud. That's just like saying, now come feast on Christ in your hearts by faith. There is, my sister, my brother, there is no pattern of thinking or acting that is outside the grip of God's love and grace. And Advent invites us to open our hearts to recognize that that image, the Son of Man riding on a cloud, is there for us, especially in those moments of hopelessness. With God, there is never such a thing as a lost cause. Lost causes are only in the imagination, the earthbound imagination of human beings. This season of Advent invites us to be refreshed by that kind of awareness, that kind of recognition of Jesus being present in the ordinary circumstances of our life, and especially in those moments where we feel hopelessness and despair. Reminding us that despite the sometimes apparent absence of Jesus' work in our lives, Uh, That absence is only and always part of a diminished imagination. That when the Spirit joins our imagination, our sanctified imagination, to the promises of Advent, we will always recognize that Jesus' work in our lives is as close as we need it to be 
when we turn our eyes towards the cross and the resurrection here at this table in the week that separates the Sundays, that image burned into us. And therein, we find our Advent hope. May we, together, as Grace Chicago Church, remind each other, slow down. Slow down. Don't be bound by the limits of your imagination. Rely upon the Spirit to awaken your hearts to the nearness of God's love, especially in the midst of circumstances that appear to be hopeless. Let's have a good Advent together by the grace and mercy of God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.